0: Welcome to TechNado with Don Pizzette, featuring cis admin expert Don Pizzette, security specialist Daniel Lowry, and Peter.
1: Hello, and welcome to TechNado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and we are joined again, thank goodness, by Don Pizzette. <laughs> Don, how you doing?
2: I know you know. I've, I've it's the first time I've missed it two weeks not. in a row. Uh, so I you know I try to miss as infrequently as possible. So uh, thanks for putting up with the B team. Uh, <laughs> wow. We had said one more week, and it was technated with Peter Van Rystam. But yeah, there we go.
1: <laughs> which viewership would have just taken a nose back. <laughs> <laughs> and we're joined as well by Daniel Lowry. Daniel, how are you today? Uh, doing great, Peter. Thanks for having me back on the show because yes. it's my job. Well, thanks for fun. for being consistent, oh, Daniel. Yeah. And I'm not. Pointing fingers at anybody. No,
0: but not naming any names, but his initials are Don Pezet, right? Yes. There we go. I don't
1: think that's how that works. Yeah. And we are joined by a very special guest today. We have Richard Spires with us, and uh, Richard is the principal of Richard A. Spires Consulting, but so much more than that. Also the author of Success in the Technology Field, A Guide for Advancing Your Career. Richard, how are you doing today?
3: I'm doing very well, Peter. Thanks so much for having me on the show.
1: Yeah, we're we're really excited to have you because even those two things that I just listed about you are like you know just two of a million things on your uh your resume and we're really getting excited. older <laughs> <laughs> i didn't mean it like that you've just haven't yeah. held a job for very long you're just real <laughs> short and <laughs> not that at all well let, let's get to know richard a little bit uh, a little bit better in our first segment which is rapid fire questions
2: who do you work for
0: what's new who are you what's happening what's wrong with you
2: All right, Richard, in this segment, what we're going to do is rapidly fire questions at you. You'll see a timer appear on the side of your screen. You'll have approximately one minute to answer each question. If you take too long, Peter will buzz you. Okay. All right. (laughs) Sort of like that. (laughs) And then we'll move on to the next question. Uh, We will kind of rotate through us. The first question is coming at you from Peter. Well, as I alluded to, uh, you've had a very impressive career, including uh,
1: stints as the CIO and Deputy Commissioner of the IRS, as well as CIO of the Department of Homeland Security. So I will not buzz you uh, because I'm afraid of you. But can you tell us about your career journey and and how it was that you were able to move into those positions?
3: Yeah, uh, thanks, Peter. Um, It's interesting. I spent 20 years in the private sector before ever going into government and did a lot of work early in my career in, uh, obviously, technology. I'm a, a double E by training and, and got into software development and then into project and program management. So I was running some fairly large programs, mainly in the financial services sector, and uh, happened to know some folks that were over at the IMS, mainly in the financial services, Audi, who had founded a firm called AMS, and then he, he moved over to become commissioner of the IRS. And they were looking for someone to come in and uh, and step into the running their business systems modernization program, a multi billion dollar, you know, ten year program to modernize some of the core processing functions of the IRS. And uh, you know, they they asked me to come in and do that. And and by the way, I had never planned to go into government like this, but it was such an amazing opportunity. Uh, to take on one of the largest, most complex modernization programs ever undertaken. I, I just couldn't say no to that. And that's what got me into government the first time. And then uh, came back in and uh, President Obama, I was asked to come back in to uh, take on the CIO role at uh, DHS then.
2: You know, you mentioned modernization. And when you were at the DHS, that was when a lot of private companies were starting to move into the cloud. And I know there were there were a lot of concerns early on about government services moving into things like AWS, what was it like inside of the DHS? Because I know the, the data DHS handles a little bit more sensitive than what most of us handle. So what was that like for you?
3: Yeah, actually, a great question uh, there, Don. I, I really did. We struggled a bit because we were at that time. I mean, I, I started at DHS in 2009. And we were very concerned about the security issues. And of course, many of the business owners of the data, they they say, what do you mean we're gonna put this data outside of our own data centers? So we we took a go slow approach, I'll be honest. We did actually work though uh, with a couple companies and created what we called our internal private cloud within DHS, Um, although now and not just DHS, but many agencies have with, with what's happened with security and the fact that you can now secure things just as well in the cloud, uh, public cloud as you can in your own data centers, that uh, a lot of those barriers have fallen away and you're seeing a significant migration of data and systems, government systems into commercial cloud providers today.
0: And speaking of security and, uh, well, you also work for the IRS. I like to marry the two things together and start talking about money, right? Because, you know, we were saying that the, the, the budget for security in a lot of organizations, not just government, can be a bit anemic up until a breach occurs. And then it's, a, you know, it's raining cash all of a sudden. Yeah. Is that the same way uh, within the government spheres and well, your experience? Well, yeah,
3: I, I think I have to say, Daniel, that, yeah, know, we, we had a little bit of that kind of same phenomena um you know it was interesting when i was there one of the 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 biggest fights we would have on the budget side was you know there's insatiable demand for new capabilities right i mean always if you're cio you're always under pressure to deliver more but you're also under a lot of pressure to deliver securely today and so how do you balance those two things and i recall meetings in the commissioner of the IRS's office or at the DHS secretary level, really talking about and making presentations on those trade-offs and and where do we invest and should we be investing in more in in security? Uh, But I think it was, you know what? I think a seminal moment for federal government was that OPM data breach. If you remember that, there were about 21 million sensitive records of of, uh, employee personnel data that were breached and uh, exfiltrated. And I, I think that really was a huge wake up call. And all of a sudden, I think things kind of flipped and it became a lot easier to get justification to invest in security.
1: So I know we're going to talk a little bit more about the book in the next segment, but I'm, I'm curious what inspired you to go ahead and write it. Is that just something that everyone that gets out of government has to do is, is write a book? <laughs> Well, I don't, I don't think so, but I, really two major
3: reasons. The first was kind of interesting. I was asked to, to speak at a conference and they said, why don't you do something a little different? And they said, hey, you've had a long, successful career in, in the technology field. We talk about, you know, being successful in it. What's it take? And so I, I, the, the, I started it with a presentation. It was very well received. I gave it a couple of other times, a couple other conferences. I said, boy, I should write this stuff down. And that was really what led to me writing the book. And, and then the other reason, and I talk about this in the book, is um, one of the recommendations I make at, you know, at the last recommendation is to give back. I mean, if you've had a successful career, you're getting later in your career, you know, help others, mentor others, you know, be there for others. And I thought, you know, if I write down what I've learned and, and others have taught me as well, then you know, it really could be a value to other people in the technology field.
1: And along those same lines of, of of helping others you're consulting now as well are you specifically consulting with people working with the government and kind of helping them navigate that process or, or just general uh it and technology things? Uh,
3: general although i i'm actually just starting some work directly for a government agency um i do help a few companies uh mainly sitting on their boards uh that that serve in the federal government space um and uh, you know i'm I'm also working on my second book. So I'm, I'm actually keeping myself pretty busy with, with what I'm doing.
1: Fantastic. Well, let, let's jump ahead to the next segment then and, and talk a little bit more about um, specifically what is in the book and some of the, the key takeaways and messages that uh, that are in there. And so like I mentioned, the book is called Success in the Technology Field, A Guide for Advancing Your Career, which is kind of right in line with, with what we talk about here um, all the time in, in terms of helping people um, grow and, and advance their career in IT. So, so what are some of the, the key takeaways in, in the book?
3: Yeah, I, I structured it with uh, 12 recommendations, uh, three of them I, I label as behaviors and nine as actions. And the behaviors are more things that you do, you should be doing all the time in your career. And I really want to you know, give you guys a shout out. I mean, and if I look at the mission of what an IT pro TV does, I mean, you actually line up very well with one of the behaviors, which is this idea of being a lifelong learner. And I know it's a bit of a cliche but it's also incredibly important in our field and i, I discuss in the book um, both formal learning through education and training gaining certifications where it makes sense to and the like but i also focus uh, on the informal learning which is like the what should you be doing on the job you know what are the skills and abilities that you need to be successful in whatever career arc that you want to have and i I even get more specific about developing an individual development plan as part of your career planning. So that let's say over the next five years, you really have a good idea of what it is you want to accomplish over those five years in developing yourself. Okay. Not just the positions you hold, but what are the knowledge, skills, and abilities that you plan to develop over the next five years? It's so important, gentlemen, I feel to uh, advancing anybody's career in the technology field.
2: You know, I'm, I'm really curious because it's a big topic, right? Uh, you know, a lot of people are getting into IT or advancing their careers. You mentioned you're working on a second book. Like, how do you follow that up? Is it like how to how to retire from how your to, IT career? Stay. <laughs> stay career.
3: <laughs> yeah, right. Retire? Um, no, actually, I'm I'm going to go back to that the government service I did. I, I have a real passion for trying to help government operate more effectively and efficiently. And by the way, that's not a political, it's not about the policy, okay? Whether it's a Republican administration, Democratic administration, doesn't matter. This is all about whatever the mission of that agency is, how do we be more effective at delivering that? And how do we, how do we be more efficient? And so I'm working on a book that really gets to the, the heart of how you do that in a government agency. It's not all about technology, but as you can imagine gentlemen, I, in today's world, Almost anything any government agency delivers leverages technology in a very significant manner. So, it really does tie into effective use of IT and how you do that within a government agency.
0: Yeah, it would seem to me that it probably wouldn't be the technology per se that's wrapping the feet of the government beast, as it were, to keep it from moving very fast. It would probably be governance, compliance, regulation, oversight, the bureaucracies of a government that just are inherent to it. And I'm assuming you have some pretty good insights. Yeah. I mean,
3: nice. Yeah. Great point, Daniel. I mean, uh, the way I'm laying that book out, I I have whole chapters on governance, on strategic planning, on budgeting. You know, those are not per se anything to do directly with technology, but uh, they're how do you, as you say, break through the bureaucracy? How do you get alignment across the, you know, the the various stakeholders, both in an agency and and also that oversight agencies to be able to move the ball forward and be able to move it forward much faster than many agencies do today.
2: Uh, Getting back to your your original book, uh, you know, what one complaint I have about a lot of self-help books is that they normally give you these like nebulous ideas and you're supposed to do something with it. And, Be better, Don. And, well, you know, I'm thinking about like 10 habits of successful people and, and stuff yeah. that, you know, you mentioned behaviors, changing a behavior is actually a really hard thing to do for a lot of people. Uh, so one, one of my complaints is they don't give you like a, a tangible action item. And so, you know, you said you've got nine actual items, things that, you know, activities you can perform, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm curious about how you came up with those because they... It seems like every IT career is a little bit different. So uh, we're, right. were you able to find just like nine common things that work regardless of your yeah, IT I mean,
3: position? I talk about that in in the in chapter one, that you know, my observation is whether you're a manager in technology, you're a practitioner, like a, a software developer, even a product salesperson, there's certain behaviors that uh, will set you up for success, but I think there's also certain actions. Now, you know, a, a product, you know, a product salesperson may not be doing some of the things, obviously, that a developer is doing, but there's still actions that you know really transcend. And I'd be, and I tried to be very specific. You know, I get your point, right? These generic books, but you know, as an example, I'll give you one example, which is I think everybody in the technology field should know how to run projects. Why is that? Because everything we deliver in technology is a project. Now, companies may not call it that, but if you really look at what happens, it's a project. And so the ability to understand what it takes to deliver projects successfully is a very important skill set to have. Okay. And so I talk about that. And how do you how do you do that? Getting certifications, for instance, in project management, doing task management, then leading projects. Even for product salespeople, I think it's very important that they do that to be very successful in their career.
1: Yeah, so the book presents, uh, you say, 12 practical uh, recommendations that, that people can use. And I, I love the idea of uh, anyone getting in, into IT, going through a 12-step program. <laughs> I think <laughs> that is, is very important. Um, yeah. Think about why you're doing this. You got me there. Consult <laughs> <You got laughs> a yeah. higher power.
2: Yeah, there you go. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, uh, so if people want to find out more about the book, I know you've got the website successinthetechnologyfield.com. And what are we looking at time-wise for, uh, for the next book coming out?
3: Yeah, you know, i really hope i mean not a guarantee but i would really hope that i can get this out published uh, within the next six to nine months is what i'm really shooting for i've got a full manuscript i'm working with reviewers i'm trying to make it you know a quality that i that i really like and um, and then get the thing out and published
1: fantastic and and uh, if people want to find out more uh, about your consulting business where would they go for that
3: uh, well, I—I I mean, I would suggest that they, I don't have a website yet for me, although I'm working on that. Um, but it—it it will be coming up soon uh, under Richard-Spires.com. So yeah, I, love that. I, if I should have that up fairly soon.
1: If you're already too and, busy uh, to have the uh, the website, that's things are going well. Yeah, for the yeah things are going that's okay. That's good. So. Well, Richard, we really want to thank you for uh, for coming on and, and sharing some of your insight with us and, and letting us know, you know, about uh, how you got to where you are and uh, and, and helping those of us that are, are trying to do those things as well to kind of learn from from you. So we appreciate that. Well, well, thank you again, gentlemen,
3: for having me on. It's been it's been
1: great. Fantastic. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the news from this week that's coming up on TechNada with Tom Pezet.
0: Welcome to IT Pro TV, an e learning company with thousands of hours of engaging video training for IT professionals with fresh content added daily. What makes IT Pro TV stand out? It all starts with our edutainers who create better than classroom experiences for training you look forward to watching.
2: So, an edutainer is someone who takes a topic, an, an educational topic, and makes it more fun, enjoyable. My vision for IT Pro TV was to make the product that I wish I had when I got started. The dashboard is great because you can actually pick up right where you left off. You can also end up seeing
0: new courses that are available to you. And with a membership, you have access to a variety of study tools. Follow along with virtual labs and test your skills with practice tests. And unlike traditional training, you aren't handcuffed to your desk. Sure, you can watch from there or from your couch with Apple TV and Roku apps or from anywhere with mobile apps. The training is even available for download. If you're ready to watch and learn with the IT pros, check out the flexible membership choices online today at www.itpro.tv.
1: All right, welcome back to Technato with Don Pazette, and thank you so much to Richard for joining us and uh, telling us all about his book and the future of his next book. I thought you were just going to start with the future. The future. <laughs> He's telling
0: us the future. He's a, yeah. the future He of your did that
1: career. during the break. Yeah. He told us. I'm sorry you guys didn't get to hear that, but uh, they have
2: technology at the DHS. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. And you worked out a sweet deal where we don't have to pay taxes anymore. I like him already. Yeah. So
1: yeah, he, t- he gave us the coupon code uh, for the IRS. <laughs> That's, that's right. I really appreciate <laughs> <The> that. Thank <laughs> you. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. If you could put a <laughs> promo code in. <laughs> if you
0: have like, any offers or yeah. specials. Yeah. Yeah. Promo IRS 30. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give it away.
1: We'll have to change it. All right. A lot of news to get to this week. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Betanews.com has our first article, which is Ubuntu Linux 14.04 and 16.04 each get a decade of support from Canonical. And Do, that, do that's, you got a thing on your board that goes, woohoo? You know? Oh, I do, as a matter yeah. of fact. And I it do. is right come on here Nailed. i didn't know how there excited we, we were so that's good to know so <laughs> really excited that's know. <laughs> you're excited and that, that seems like a long time because that, that's kind of the same level of support that like microsoft puts out when it does a new version of windows
2: yeah this one's a little bit different though so we kind of have to put some i don't know air quotes around it yeah perspective <laughs> on it uh you know microsoft will typically support their operating systems for 10 years it's just kind of this thing they do uh and then if you want more support than that. You've got to pay them, although they're kind of shuffling that cycle around. Canonical has been a little bit different because they're normally five years. So you have five years of active support for an application and then it drops off Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the end of it. And you're supposed to upgrade. They put out a new version every two years or a new long-term support version, right? They put out a new version every six months, but every two years, an LTS version comes out. So the next one is due in uh in april of 2022 so we're, we're creeping up on that one uh we're actually uh, almost we're like days away from the next version coming out in october but uh but if you are running an older version like 14.04 that came out in 2014 which means its support should have run out in 2019 two years ago well with the pandemic with it and turmoil with all the breaches that are going on a lot of companies are not actively pushing to upgrade systems unless they absolutely have to. So Canonical has decided to extend support for 14.04 and 16.04 to a 10-year window. And they've actually got that 10-year window applied to all the newer versions as well. So this is kind of going back a few and and saying, if you were panicked about some of those old versions, maybe you've got them on embedded hardware or something, then we're going to give you a little bit bigger time. But the thing that kind of doesn't get mentioned is it's still a five-year support cycle, and then you can pay for mm-hmm. the extended support window. So canonical's a little coin operators. A, a bit, yeah. And that's fine. <laughs> and it's not a ridiculous thing, a ridiculous price. I think it's um for a virtual server, it's like seventy five dollars per year. Uh and for a physical server it's somewhere around two hundred dollars per year so if I, you want to continue getting updates.
0: I don't have to be a
1: Saudi oil baron to <laughs> no.
2: pay for this support. Okay, Although, I kinda like that. Maybe if you have enough servers, I don't sure. know. That Dang, might help. That's true
1: so, so this is is not ten more years from today. This is ten oh, no. years since these came out in
2: twenty fourteen and twenty sixteen oh, right. respectively. Correct. So fourteen point zero four. Even if you pay today, they are still going to end support for it in twenty twenty four. But that gives you a few more years, right, to be able to to pace that out.
0: So Don, how would how how many people or how many organizations have you been in or worked with or seen? where they just kind of ignore it. Well, thanks for the extra five years of me not upgrading this.
2: You know, uh, I I have seen that. Yeah. And I, I'll tell you, probably the most egregious violation of this, um, I, I worked for a institution that I, I won't name um, <laughs> because... Aren't you sweet? <laughs> but the Intrusion Prevention Service, the IPS boxes there, yeah. ran Red Hat, which I loved. You do. But it was controlled under a contract through the IPS vendor, um, which... Oh, I probably shouldn't name them either, but uh, <laughs> but it was juniper, and so <laughs> juniper. Named, Names. and so we couldn't update them, and so they were running these ancient versions of of uh, of rel, and it was super frustrating because there were there were known vulnerabilities right. in it, and these were our IPS boxes. What's that company again? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna so over here
2: so that's uh you know that's what happens is you get these these hardware appliances or you know dedicated servers where you're not allowed to go in and mess with the underlying os and now you're totally trusting on that vendor to keep it up to date they don't always do that
0: or, or even like just government in general can be really slow to update and adopt new stuff because of how much bureaucracy goes around updating to something we've got to verify we've got to validate that it's secure it does the thing we need it to do and yep. take forever there's such a monolith that it's just so slow to go, they might actually outpace the support for the
1: thing, right? Which is it's why we need Richard's happen. new book. That's exactly right. So, uh, is this a response, do you think, uh, by Canonical to, to RHEL ending support uh, on their end, that they're seeing, hey, that, look how important this is to people. Um, we need to get out in front of this.
2: You know, I'm going to say no on that. And the main reason is like with, with Red Hat, they kind of ended support for CentOS the way that it was, right? Mm-hmm. So so now you get CentOS Stream and that's it. That's not stable enough for most people. And so that created an uproar. But with Ubuntu, you don't have to pay them. Like you can get the latest version of Ubuntu and it's free. Uh, so it's just if you want to get support, mm-hmm. uh, like being able to actually call and talk to them for support. That's what you pay for. And so... It's kind of a different, it's not really apples to apples. I I would be
0: surprised to see a lot of things break, honestly, to just upgrade to the next version so that you can get more support for basically free, right? Yeah, I mean, so there's- Some things
2: could break, I've seen it. If you compare 14.04 to like 20.04, it's a world different, because now you have C groups and all the things with containerization and and stuff that's gone into the kernel, Uh, it's a whole different kernel version, like, there's some pretty big changes.
1: Yeah. How much to to
0: get uh, Linus to answer? (laughs) what you got to do is to say him. somebody said this was stupid
1: linus okay. and that you're stupid it's like the bat signal <laughs> and then you him. can't keep him from answering <laughs> what did you say <laughs> yeah. yeah fantastic all right well uh let's switch gears to a another operating system this one uh is about microsoft and this comes to us from arstechnica.com larger screen surface pro 8 gets its biggest redesign since the surface pro 3 the uh, x86 surface pro gets a redesign at the expense of accessory compatibility so it sounds like there's a little bit of trade-off here
2: yeah just a little bit i, I know n- none of us use surfaces right but we have several throughout the building and and many people do really enjoy them uh the surface has not really changed much from the surface 3 all the way through the surface 7 there have been some improvements in the screen uh newer processors bigger faster storage that is that because
0: if it ain't broke don't fix it or they really should have been updating this
2: thing no i, I think it's it just wasn't broke. It, no. it really was working for what most people wanted, but there have been a few little challenges and things that are rolling into the Surface Pro 8 that are really cool, right? So some of the the benefits, they are changing the screen ratio. So that's different. The old screen ratio sucked anyway. So <laughs> the new one, it, it's not 16 by nine. I know there's, there's two Whoa. different schools of thought yeah, out there. We
0: like 16 by nine because of what we
2: do. Right. Most other people seem to hate it. So this <laughs> is probably a good thing, uh, but they are changing the screen resolution. Uh, they're also making it a little bit thicker, and this is where the compatibility comes in. So by making it a little bit thicker, it's not compatible with the old keyboard covers. The keyboard covers have been the same for the Surface Pro 3 all the way through the 7. So when you bought a new laptop, you could just move your keyboard cover over. You didn't have to buy a new one.
1: That is way different than like Apple. Oh, yeah, where, absolutely. We want that money for every, every version, yes. yeah. Yep.
2: So, uh, so that, that's the, the kind of negative. But on a positive side, by making it a little bit thicker, it cools better. Mm. So the fans don't have to run as hard. It runs a little bit cool. And it has replaceable M2 storage. Ooh. You can actually upgrade the storage in the thing. Another very un Apple thing. Yeah.
0: And also, don't they have that like um, S Pen or whatever, or some sort of pen mm-hmm. feature as well, right? Which yeah. you don't have in uh, Apple, MacBooks, Mac, uh, Pro. Yeah, you've or, got that with the, with the iPad Pro with the with The right. pencil, iPad Pro, you kind of get that. It
2: does absolutely so nothing. I'm I not. guess the question then <laughs> becomes
0: is. Is the Surface Pro meant to be a MacBook Pro killer or a iPad Pro killer or both? Or what's the idea here?
2: It's designed to be both. okay. That's the that's what Microsoft wants you to use it for. So it's a, it's a perfectly fine laptop. Many people use it that way. Yeah. And then you pop that keyboard off and now it's a tablet and, and off you go. So it's designed to be both. I don't know a lot of people that buy into the tablet side of it. Yeah. Most people just use it as a laptop, but that's what it's designed for.
0: Yeah, I've got a Lenovo uh, Lenovo Flex for my personal laptop at home and I can turn it into a tablet. It works pretty well. I do that sometimes like if I'm sitting in, and I'm just like scrolling through the internet sometimes I'll flip it that way but I typically end up using it as as a laptop Yeah, and not so much a tablet. So it's nice to have. I don't know how much that increases the cost of the device and I know that you don't get that with MacBooks and I don't hear people complaining too much. If you like yeah, Mac... People complain about the, about the lack of touchscreen. Do they really? Okay. Bit, I, I haven't yeah. heard it personally.
2: But there have been a lot of updates out of Microsoft recently because they're they're building up for the big release of Windows 11 that's happening uh, next week, right? Uh, On the 5th. October 5th, yeah. So yep. So next week is the big rollout of Windows 11. Uh, They're pushing new devices. The new uh, Surface Duo was released. But, you know, most of the other stuff is kind of niche garbage. Not garbage. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Stuff most people don't care about. It's niche. (laughs) But the the (laughs) Surface update was pretty cool, I thought. Know, you know, we're talking about.
1: You guys have an RSVP to my uh, Windows 11 launch party? Launch party? party. Yeah. <laughs> I,
0: yeah I, I'm getting to it. You I guess? just got okay. a lot of email I, ahead of you. That's you all. I'm getting my hair
2: done that day. Yeah, because I want to So, know. Don,
0: get me one of these things. I'll play around with it for you. Because <laughs> I looked them up before we, we came on. I was like, well, how much are these running? They actually do seem pretty cool, like a, a really nice device. Starts at like a 1100 bucks, 1200 Yeah, You can get up to 32 gigs of RAM in it with a 2-terabyte drive or a 1-terabyte drive. But it was like $2,600. Yeah.
2: Which is still less than a MacBook. Pro it though, is still right? less than a MacBook. And, yeah. and uh, uh, I'll tell you and I'll go out on a limb on this one, like I don't know anyone who's had a surface for more than three years. Really? Like they just don't seem to last. I, I oh, do. It, that's but not mine,
1: good. I had the original Surface, but it's
2: literally in a bin under my bed. So I've had it,
1: <laughs> He's had it since it came out.
2: When did I last fire it up? I don't know. Yep. And maybe that build quality has gotten better over the years, yeah. but especially with the earlier models, all the way through like the Surface 5, it yeah. was rare to find somebody who got one to last three years. Okay.
1: What, I, I like the one, uh, the reason I don't like this one, it's got that little pop-out kickstand. Mm-hmm. And so it's, for literal lap use, it, it just doesn't work. Oh, what, yeah. What is the one... Uh, that's more built in, that that you can still pop it out. It's the silver case that kind of got a, it's, it's still a Surface. Uh, per,
2: oh, the, oh, I know what you're talking about. It, it is a Surface, but it has a different name, uh, and it's designed to be more of a laptop all the time. Yeah, um,
1: I, and, but it still pops out, and you, so you still get the tablet side of it, which I, uh, that's the way I'd go personally, I, uh, but I tend to do, you know, sit on the couch a lot. It's called
2: the Surface Book. That could be. Oh. I think is what it's called, yeah. i will
1: we'll go with that. I'll we'll go with that. As, uh, it's
2: got that crazy hinge. That's like, yeah, know, like yeah, slinky or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm getting you.
1: Uh, it's uh, Surface Book three. The, yes, book. there you go. You yeah, that's the down. that's the look I like.
2: Daniel, how would you describe that that hinge? I said slinky. It's nothing like a slinky. Slinky. It's like,
1: nothing like a slinky. <laughs> it's like one of those buses that has like two pieces and they, yeah. they turn the corner. It's like <laughs> a yeah. bendy straw. Yeah, there
0: like you go. Like a bendy straw. Like that a bendy straw. Exactly. Yeah, right? we, we've seen a couple of those running around the building here. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. just. Arbitrarily, I do not like the way that looks. I just it's, like the way it f-
1: that functions better because oh, yeah, absolutely. W- in the working from home environment, you know, there will be times where you say, "Oh, I'm going to go, you know, yeah. sit on, on the chair now out on the porch to to do this call and and, you know, trying to get that kickstand on your lap would just yeah, be a pain in the butt." Yeah, super pain in the so. butt, but I look at that thing and I recoil like it's a rattlesnake trying to bite me. All right, I'm excited <laughs> for what? That- For no good reason, too. <laughs> it's a weird analogy. All right, I'm excited for this next article because I actually talked with Daniel a little bit about it earlier in the week. Um, so I know he has some strong opinions, so let's find out. Uh, this article comes to us from TheVerge.com. Uh, the EU proposes mandatory USB-C on all devices, including iPhones, and specifically, I think, this is just targeted at iPhones because they're the ones, you know, using the lightning cables that have a, a different port there. But, uh, I don't know, Daniel. Do we want to start with your anger.
0: Uh, so at <laughs> first I'm like, what's wrong with Apple? Why do they always got to do something different? And, you know, and then I actually ended up reading their response to this and I thought it was pretty level-headed. They Apple's said, response? yeah, Apple's response to this, where they said that, uh, this will, this will stifle innovation. I said, okay, it's a bit of a boilerplate answer. But there might be some truth to that, because if you're now dictating to me, governmentally, that this is what you must have, and you can't do anything else, well, you know, all of a sudden my libertarian views start coming up and go, well, who are you to tell me what I can and cannot do with what I'm building, and I don't like that either, so... I think that Apple might have actually a leg to stand on with this. Don't force people. I get what you're trying to do, trying to reduce waste. But do that through programs of, hey, let's reduce waste. If you would, please start using more USB-C. And that way we can mm-hmm. con- you know, consolidate down into one form. But we're not going to force you to do that because we don't want to stymie innovations. And we don't want to
1: tell people... What you can and cannot do. Liberty is is better. But to play devil's advocate or EU advocate, they did ask first and I'm said, sure. "We'd like you guys to move to this. Here's why. Uh, we're we're you know filling landfills with with unnecessary cables. People are having drawers full, to, trying to figure out different devices. Different. I mean, you think back to old smartphones. You have. You know, everybody had their own thing. Oh yeah. Now it's kind of everyone's gone this one route, except for the one
2: guy. So I was about yeah. to say,
0: well, who is not USB-C other than Apple at this point? Get so and,
2: Apple. and you know, let me. I I shall rebut. Okay, uh, please do. So because when I read Apple's comment, my thought wasn't, oh, I think they have a point. Mine was, well, that's total bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's, there's two reasons for that. So one, Apple's been using Lightning connectors for over ten years now. Yeah. Right. Obviously, they have not innovated in ten years. That's that true. connector has not changed. Uh, they increased the speed a little bit, yeah. But then they gave up on that right away and flipped over to USB-C on the iPads. So that's they're right, they already did. using USB-C. So don't give me crap about innovation. Okay. you know that's, oh, well, that's like well, pretend. I mean, it's
0: it's a it's a a theoretical argument. It's not necessarily yeah. like a, an applicable argument because they're saying we out. could come up with something that is this right.
1: tiny single pin.
0: Right. Because uh, I mean, well, then you've defined a standard. Regulatorily, right? You, you're saying this is the standard for EU countries. You must use this. Yeah. And I mean, is that the way it is with power? Like the, do you, did, is that regulated by the government that you must use those, those weird plugs that they those use 220s. over there,
2: those different ones? So it's, it's not required, but it's kind it's of adopted. one of those things where universal, yeah. right? And it, it's such a, a required service by people that, that you really you don't can't play support. ball. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So maybe just
0: through more pressure. And if, if the stinking Mac you and Apple lovers out there would stop <laughs> thinking that everything they do is vomiting gold. Well no, I mean <laughs> if if the lighting's so great,
1: where's that on my MacBook?
0: Uh, that's another great question. Yeah. Right. I think that cable right there is is a prime example of them just kind of like doing whatever they feel like doing.
2: Yeah. But I don't want to stop them from doing whatever they feel like. They're in their own company. Yeah. Well, you know, so the the, the real reason that the lightning cables exist is because of the MFI program, right? The made for iPhone program oh. that uh, Lightning Cables. Have a little identifier chip in them, and so really yeah, they do. So when you plug in an iPhone or whatever with one of those Lightning cables, it knows whether that's an MFI certified cable or not. And there are some devices that will be rejected, and this was a big problem several years ago where gotcha. certain chargers wouldn't charge your phone, and it was because they weren't MFI. So like, ah, screw you, Apple. Yeah, so <laughs> this,
1: this accessory is not supported. It'll say on, the, gotcha. on your phone.
2: But yeah. the real nail in the coffin on this one is if we rewind back to 2009. All the cell phone manufacturers got together, right? And they mentioned this in in the article. Mm. Apple, Samsung, Huawei, Nokia, they all got together and they said, all right, we're going to team up. We're going to pick a common standard. We're going to to do better uh, on these chargers. And so Huawei, Samsung, Nokia all switched to micro USB. Apple stopped uh, building the cable into their power block. So you could use anybody's power block, but you still had to use Apple's cable. They stuck with lightning. And so Apple felt like they did enough by Mm. giving you a USB port on a power block and still using their own cable. No, this is fact. Fact. Not not Don made up like normal. You're not (laughs) adding to you're
0: not helping my case of like trying to learn to love and live with
1: Apple products. No, no, I use the hell out of Apple I stuff. I know you so. do. I know. So <laughs> yeah. Which even makes it more credible because... So, so here's here's my guess of what's going to happen here is that we've been hearing the rumors forever. And I mean, even up to this iPhone 13 just coming out, that we're going to get this portless iPhone. It's going to have no cable. It's just going to be <laughs> NFC. So I think that's the double birds that, that Apple's going <laughs> to give to the EU go, yeah. well, you know what? The no, the no yeah. cable. You get no cable. That's now. right.
2: Yeah, so you know we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, with the last version of the iPhone, I think it was the iPhone 12. Apple stopped including a power yeah. adapter. Like, hey, we're going to save the planet by giving you less. And <laughs> okay. so, uh, the the way it was positioned was, hey, you've already got a phone charger, just reuse right. it; it'll be fine. Well,
1: wireless charging is now. But uh, do you think and,
2: that they
0: could yeah. like form fit the lightning into a USB C connector? Well, and you've maybe seen just those. Th- that
1: Don't they have cables that it's uh, like a little adapter that flips down? Oh, yeah, on it? So I, uh, yes, I have that actually. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe something like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, but that increases the cost of the cable. But if you think about it, you've yeah. got things like your USB C is just a connector, right? Correct. So there is the USB 3.1 protocol or whatever, 3.2 right. now, that, that runs on top of a USB C connector. But there's also Thunderbolt that runs on right. top of a USB C connector. So, whatever software innovation Apple has, can be done on USB-C, and that's evidenced by the iPad and the MacBooks that are all USB-C right now. Yeah. Right?
0: I will say that I love USB-C for my phone. I hate it for my laptop. Yeah. Yeah, just because of like how a laptop gets used and typically abused. It's really easy to like break the port or break the, yeah, the cable itself. It's smaller. You, you got this janky thing going on, and that was true with when I had a MacBook. And it's I did true like with that this MagSafe one. That, or the man know, that was. One. See
1: that. That was, that was a great product right yeah. there. They should have never lost it. you're that. right. That's the innovation that we're going to lose. Regardless. I want that back. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm shocked that uh, I expected Don to be on the same side as Daniel there of, you know, screw you, EU, telling me.
2: Well, I, what we can do, I've like, kind of resigned to the fact, like the EU is going to tell you to do stuff anyway. Sure, like, that's, just, that's, <laughs> that's what they do. Doesn't, like, doesn't they mean we right. should agree with it. Yeah, like they, they don't have freedom of speech. There's a yeah. few, Don. Like, the, the VAT is yeah. Like they, they don't have freedom of speech. There's a yeah. few, Don. Like, the, the VAT is this incredible tax that applies. To, it's, they have all sorts of things that they force they upon people. Don so has given is up. Just, when are you yeah. moving? or the like the RHOC certifications that all equipment has to go under Uh, and and like there's a whole bunch of stuff so this is just one more regulation but I just don't I don't want people to feel like Apple is the victim here because Apple is a business making money and they don't care about the customer. And if I came across (laughs) as like
0: trying to like the only reason I singled out Apple is because the article did I meant that across the board honestly you shouldn't be like government shouldn't come in and tell me how I should build a product I, I, I should be able to get to do that so if, now, I want, if
2: I want the battery to explode yeah. next year, I should it. be allowed to do that. Yeah. I'm built. Get on the plane. I'm, with I'm it, making but, phone yeah. bombs all day long. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but now we know where Don was the last two weeks. He was house hunting in Finland. Yeah, there we go. So all right, let's move on to our next article from TechCrunch.com. Let's Encrypt root certificate is about to expire. It's about time, and it may break your devices. That's not good.
2: Yeah, you know, Let's Encrypt is incredibly popular because you can get free certificates, right? Uh, in the past, you used to have to go to, to vendors like uh, uh, like Thought and VeriSign Yeah, Thought and VeriSign are probably the two biggest ones. Yeah. There's plenty of others that are out there like DigiCert. Uh, and you had to pay every year for these certificates. And that was a, kind of an arduous process. Let's Encrypt changed all that. Now, you can just generate certs whenever you want, and people trust them, and it's, it's like great. the
0: Oprah of certs. <laughs> yeah. You get a cert. You get a cert.
2: <laughs> just reach under your chair, yeah. and there's a cert. CA. <laughs> uh, however, they've been around a long time, and so it is time for one of their root certs to expire. They've already issued out new ones years ago, and so 99% of us are all going to be just fine, and this isn't a big deal. But every time this happens, right? There, there was a, a root CA that expired uh, three or four years ago, and this happened you'll find embedded devices, things like webcams or video game consoles or, or things that aren't automatically updating don't get the new root certs. And so when their current root cert expires, they no longer trust those certificates and you end up with a lot of breakage. That is likely going to happen. Now, the last time it happened, it was a, a private CA that you know, sold certs. This is the first time it's happened for Let's Encrypt, which is wildly popular because it's free. I fully expect this to be a lot more visible when this happens. Now, when they say
0: this is going to break stuff, they just mean that you're not you're going to go to that website on the device, or that device is going to try to reach out to that that domain, and it's going to say, "Oh, I need your cert." It's going to come back and go, "I don't trust that." And you're not going to be able to make that connection. That's what they mean by breaking. No, it. No, it's going to be like Y two K. Planes will fall
2: <laughs> from the sky. So I, I can give you a few examples. Um, you know, I had a BlackBerry that this happened to. So this already dates yeah. the story. This was a long time ago, uh, and. Basically, I, I was no longer getting email messages oh. because it couldn't connect to the server, the email server right. that had my information to be able to send out. And so I just stopped getting email until I did a firmware update on the thing. I was like, man, this yeah. has been a good week. <laughs> <Yeah. And laughs> slow, still slow. So, uh, you know, that that's one thing that can happen. You can see, uh, you know, you might not be able to log into a service. You might have a web page you can't get yeah, to. That's
0: typically how I encounter this from time to time. It's like, oh, the certificate has expired. Danger. It might be, you know, man in the middle attacks. And it kind of gives you all that. Inky stuff, and you got to accept it. Yeah. Can, can you just say, I accept the risks, download the CA, and say, trust this?
2: Well, sometimes you can, yeah. but on a lot of mobile phones, they've locked the certificate store, mm. and so you cannot update the certificates. Uh, there's several Android phones that are no longer supported, and they do not provide access to the certificate store. Mm. So you would have to root the phone to do it, which already <laughs> blows security yeah. out the window. Yeah. So those are some challenges, but I, I wanted to mention it here on the podcast because this is happening... Today, so today, today is the day, Thursday, the... Not tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> what is the date today? The 30th. 30th. <laughs> uh So Thursday, September 30th is the day this certificate expires. So tomorrow, or after midnight UTC, so that might be sooner than tomorrow, uh, but tomorrow, if something's going weird on your network, the first thing that should pass through your mind is, could a certificate be, cause, be causing this? That might help you save a lot of troubleshooting time tomorrow.
1: Well, no one's going to be able to hear this episode then, yeah. because... That's that's the day.
2: Now, I did read
0: that um, if you have like an older phone and that's it's causing an issue, uh, use Firefox because it uses its own trust. It doesn't use the standard trust they have one baked in. So a little they, workaround.
2: There are some web browsers and some applications that yeah. do their own, which is which also leads to the problem that you might have an application that uses its own certificate store and isn't <laughs> oh, yeah, updated. That's true. Um, you, you know, what should happen is the EU should tell us exactly like what. It. I cert like it. Cert store, uh, certs, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You okay. will use this cert
0: or you're going in the gulag. I feel like, there we go. <laughs> and you can only update it can via you Imagine USPC? a gulag full of people <laughs> that just, you know, why oh, are you using that bad cert store, huh? <laughs> mm, mm. That gets you.
2: Yep. I feel like you guys
1: <laughs> Yeah. A little extreme now. <laughs> All right. Well, we have got another article to get to, and this is a little bit déjà news. It's uh, a lot listener mail intro, so or listener mail as well. So let's go ahead and play that intro. You've got mail. All right. So last week we talked about Express VPN, or is it Express? Yeah, Express yeah, VPN. Express VPN. Yep. and uh, we had Rahul uh, uh right in asking uh if we can talk a little bit more about one of the elements of that because uh you know there, there were a couple things that they had uh, that were interesting with expressvpn in the last week but one of the big things and this is from the washington post is three former u.s intelligence oper- intelligence operatives admit to working as hackers for hire for the uae and i mean I, not that we glossed over that in the story but we were focused more on the expressvpn side of it so this is the kind of thing that that Puts up little uh, little bells and and you know how how are these people not uh, as as Daniel said in the Gulag here?
2: Well, uh, I believe they are now. So <laughs> so that's uh, I thought they were fine. No, yeah, they were. Were they just given a fine? I knew they did a. Yeah, they like, are fully cooperating, and therefore okay. They they yeah. certainly didn't do a not guilty. They yeah. they did a plea no, yeah. agreement. Yeah. W- would
0: this be considered treason? Was this I, that's what I was some thinking? Some well, sort of
2: treasonous. So so here's the thing. Like we're, I guess we're not at war with them. So every country has a cyber warfare division now. Like that's just the world that we're in, and some countries use it. For Well, I was about to say some use it for good, some use it for bad, but I don't think any of them use it for good at this <laughs> point. I think every, every country is, yeah. uh, uses it for bad. Uh, but some are a little more bad than others doing things like assassinating journalists, which is not... That's, correct me if I'm wrong. Bad? I, right. I believe frowned yes, upon yes. in most uh, most nations, but not, not all. So, uh, so here's an example of where you have these three former U.S. intelligence operatives. So these are people that work for the U.S. government, were highly trained, very good at their job that then went and did hacking for hire jobs for the UAE over in uh, in the Middle East. And the UAE was using their skills to compromise phones and and you know, basically access people's text messages, phone calls, email history. All around the world in countries all around the globe they compromised apple with some zero days that allowed them to be able to access iphones uh, as well as several android phones and so on so they were using this to monitor activists and journalists and so generally bad stuff Mm -hmm. right so so this is bad but you you might say well eh, that's what these guys wanted to do right it's (laughs) there they can pick who they want to work for and if they want to go work for them that's fine however There's this little notice, this disclaimer that I always have to click on when I'm downloading updates from Cisco and other places where it says, do you certify that you are in compliance with the United States encryption or cryptographic export regulations? There are regulations that say we are not allowed to export strong encryption to other countries. Well, these three former agents... By going over and doing this hacking for hire, we're taking tools over with them that use strong encryption, and that broke broke the law, like broke that regulation. Uh, so what they were doing was absolutely illegal, and it kind of shows that that line that like red teamers have to deal with yeah. a lot, where. At what point do we become white hat hackers, or what point do we become or ethical and non ethical? Right,
0: a lot of people will work in both spheres where they're like, "Yeah, I'm a cybersecurity expert by day for company X, but by night I'm selling my services on the dark web to you know give you passwords or whatever." So there's both of those things. You see that from time to time. There's kind of mercenaries that are they're out there just trying to make a buck, but ultimately, like, I mean, they they knew this stuff. They they even said as much as like, "Yes." We basically ignored the warnings that we knew were there. They can't even claim ignorance in this. See, probably like me. Yeah. They've clicked on
2: that, except, disclaimer, but so he, many you, times, it if means you're nothing. you're going to
0: the UAE, who we're friendly with, but not necessarily allies, per se. Yeah. And, and you, you are Quinkinses. Yeah. You know, we, we're friendly neighbors. We have a, we have a good working relationship. Yeah. Not going camping with them. But, uh, you know, what are you going to do? And you're going to take that level of technology and expertise over to them, and then they're obviously going to weaponize it against us oh. you you know that's going to happen and so you kind of got what's coming to you if they decide to sanction you for it
2: yeah so you, you said they just got a fine what, how much i don't know if the they fine? got a fine or not oh. um
1: i guess that's Peter what that's the one we talked part. about uh last week i thought with express vpn but somewhere the rosenbergs are going hey <laughs> yeah. we would love to fine too. yeah um, yeah but, oh,
2: it says they've agreed to pay nearly 1.7 million oh, to resolve right. criminal charges uh it, I and didn't see job. it in the article. It's in the byline, right under the headline. So right. I don't and know how was, I missed that. There was something about how
0: <laughs> they agreed to um, basically forfeit any f- future work that they might have. They lost their obviously they've lost their secret clearance, their top secret yep. clearance, yeah. and they can no longer get that. I mean, who would trust these people at this point, right? Um, as far as that kind of thing goes, you're, you're you're pushing state secrets across the across the pond there. Not a good idea. Well,
1: b- before we move on on this one, I, I wanted to, to ask a second question because we had someone write in last week, uh, Emmanuel Davis, after we talked about um, the concerns with ExpressVPN last week. Uh, he said, you know, he is an ExpressVPN user and uh, and it is now concerned about it, understandably, and wants to know what you guys use. So uh, I use the VPN that you put on my computer, um, <laughs> but that's why I chose it. So what do you guys use?
2: Wait, did, did we talk about how, how this ties into ExpressVPN? Uh, uh, we, we
1: talked about it last week.
2: Yeah. Okay. Because one of these guys, yeah, works work for, for Express ExpressVPN. It
1: yeah. yeah, works. Works. Oh, I thought they fired him. No, yeah. they they stood by him. I
2: I believe. Well, well I you mean, talk I'm about saying, your, your
1: VPN. And I'm gonna I'm gonna double right. check. You that fact thing. check that.
2: All right. I I think I've said it on the podcast before that you cannot trust any VPN providers, and I'll stand by that. VPN providers, you just you don't know where these companies are when they say they have a no log policy. I think we've seen with Mail, like no log policies are BS, yep. uh, that we we can't name the employees there. You just don't know anything about these VPN providers. They're not to be trusted. And so if you're counting on that VPN provider to keep your data secret... Well, you're, you're putting your eggs in the wrong basket. If you're just trying to access Netflix in another country, that's a different story, right? They'll do that. They're, they can fulfill that promise. But they can't keep your data safe and private. They're not really motivated to do it either. Like, you just pay them and that's that. So, for me... I, I do actually use a third-party VPN provider sometimes. I have a, a, an account with AirVPN, so it's airvpn.org. Uh, they're pretty transparent. They have some great test utilities. That's why I use them, because I usually use it when I'm doing a demonstration for somebody, or if something is being blocked on a network and I'm just trying to get out. Like, I'm not really worried about my data privacy. I'm just trying to get through some other obstacle. Uh, but when I'm concerned about my own data privacy, I use my own VPN it's really easy to spin up an amazon ec2 instance Uh, you can do a a, a, like a t2 micro it doesn't have to be a big one a really really small instance uh you can do it in the free user tier and drop that into ec2 just a a standard linux ami image You you throw that one on there do open vpn and and you're off to the races you can even set up port knocking so it's invisible unless you hit a certain port and then all of a sudden your VPN goes active and you can remote in and, and go. So really simple to set that up. I've ran one of those for years and years, and that's usually what I'll use because that's something I trust. I know that system. I'm the one who set it up.
0: On that, uh, on that, with the, like a T2 micro, how much is that running you per month to keep that up and running?
2: So if you if you have to pay for it like if you're yeah. like maxing out a t2 macro or asking micro, for a friend yeah uh <laughs> then you know i think it ends up being like 11 dollars a month okay or, or somewhere I think yeah that might be high so you, you well,
0: let's say it's 11 bucks a month honestly if you just kind of do the math here real quick four or five dollars a month you typically what we're seeing with vpn connectivity right subscription model versus 11 bucks a month one gives you no security the other gives you Actual security, yeah, <laughs> kind so, of worth the money at that point.
2: But if you if you just do a new account and do the free usage tier, yeah, that'll last you a while, and it'll cover a micro for the whole time. So you basically oh. get it for free at that oh, point. Yeah. Uh, but I will what I will remind everybody that VPNs like this, they don't protect you end to end, right? If I bring up a VPN tunnel and I go to Netflix, well, I'm secure all the way to the VPN provider, and then I'm just dumped on the internet and off to the destination so vpns are really only useful if you don't trust the first hop if i'm at a hotel if i'm at a conference i don't trust those networks i'm an airport i don't trust that network that's where a vpn is useful right but if you're trying to get a secure connection all the way to a destination they don't do that unless the vpn provider is your destination so that's where work vpns peter you mentioned the vpn i put on your computer because i'm connecting to the local network here. right And that will secure your access to the stuff here in the building. But if you browse the internet on it, right. that's not secure.
0: Because Se- right, security past that is basically up to HTTPS at this point, right? Yeah. Is that they're using secure protocols and secure mm-hmm. countermeasures to I, make sure I that your data as it comes in is is good. I thought I could do anything because I was on a VPN. Is that? <laughs> yeah. By the way, we need to see you in Phillips' office yeah. <laughs> a couple of logs. When I
1: get those when I get those those fishy emails, I'll just oh. well let me start the VPN and oh, then yeah. click this link.
2: It's not, it's you know, other options, you could you could pretty easily run a VPN server off your computer at home. A Raspberry Pi, I've done yep. that as well. I used to have a Raspberry Pi set up that would, uh, I could drop it wherever. It was kind of like a pen testing tool yeah. in a way. Uh, I could drop it wherever, and it would do a reverse tunnel, an SSH tunnel, back to my laptop so that I could, you know, access that nice. network. I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't sound nefarious, but... Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I, I did it as I'm well, sure. I actually. Yeah. I used a Raspberry Pi Zero. Um, it makes it really easy. You just plug it in, bam, and just creates that reverse shell back to. Um, I actually did an encrypt, or I I didn't do a, um, an SSH tunnel. I did netcat, but I used SSL encryption through that netcat connection <laughs>
1: back to AWS. Well, I'm running we are out of time. We are a little over time. Uh, eh, whatever. Time.
0: We're talking cool text. We
1: are talking. That's why I wanted to let this go. A the fun bit sponge over here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm like the EU. Uh, we, we want to thank uh, Emmanuel and Rahul for, for sending those uh, those questions in, because we definitely did want to talk about that. And to give you a quick update, this is from Reuters. Uh, the uh, people that work at ExpressVPN are very upset that the company has given their backing uh, to this guy, who is uh, Dan uh, Garrick. Garrick, I believe. Uh, he was named uh, Chief Technology Officer in August, and according to an internal email at the time uh, of this project, publishing of four days ago he remains in the post well there you go so they're big fans big fans of his love the garrick i'm going (laughs) to send i'm going to send shirts to rahul and to emmanuel uh, as a thank you as well and if you want to get a shirt send in your uh, suggested articles or questions and and if we if we cover them on the air we will uh, hook you up as well all right we do have one last article to get to so let's get to that real quick in our next segment dough All right. This one is uh, called "Auto Discovering the Great Leak," and and I read this article and, and was kind of confused. So I'm, I'm hoping that uh, <laughs> that you can help me down a little bit. I mean, what 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 I seem to understand here is, let's say you own Technado.com. If I then said, "All right, I'm going to buy Technado.net," I can set up something and capture some credentials and things. Not not, not really. quite. No. Okay. No. So help me
2: out. All right. So 18 years ago. <laughs> Microsoft Exchange 2003 came out and it introduced a feature called Autodiscover. Autodiscover has become a key component of all Microsoft Exchange-based email servers and the online like Outlook.com and Microsoft 365. It's used by applications like your email client on your phone or Outlook on your desktop to be able to automatically find the server and server settings. And the way it works is you type in your email address and it looks at your domain name. So if I type in... uh, don at technado.com it says all right well technado.com is your domain so let me go and see if it has an auto discover file and it will try and access technado.com slash autodiscover slash autodiscover.xml and if it finds that xml file it has all the information on the server so what ports to use what server names to use what encryption standard to use so your client automatically configures itself it's kind of cool right Back when I got started with uh, email, back in the 90s, uh, you had to know, all right, what's my SMTP server? What's my POP3 server? What port does it use? That was all information you had to manually put in. Now it's automatic. Well, the thing is, they support more than one URL. The URL that I gave was kind of the most common, but there's also like it could do autodiscover.technado.com slash autodiscover, blah, blah, blah. And so clients rotate through each of these URLs, hoping to find one. Well, if they don't find any... It turns out they start trying all sorts of weird stuff. Like they'll drop technado and so they might look for autodiscover.com. Well, that's a whole different domain. And so a security company uh, which was called Gardacore, there we go. Uh Gardicore, they actually found where they they went out and bought a bunch of domains that were like these these uh, they call them failback addresses for when the other urls don't work. They bought things like I, I don't know if they got did so they, they get
0: auto they, discover. They com? bought auto dec dot br, dot co es dot fr. All the countries. So they bought like a bunch of dot auto discover dot whatever they could find. Did they buy the doe? <laughs> I do
2: not see dot does <laughs> .do so, is,
1: <laughs> is much more secure. They didn't
2: so. get autodiscover.tv either but they did get autodiscover.online.me. dot me uh, cc you know, So they, they got a bunch. Yep. So uh, they brought up a web server and created the auto discover XML file in there and then logged access to it. And while they ran it, I think it was just like for a month, they got hundreds of thousands of connections from yeah, clients not, all around the world.
0: Now, not hundreds and not thousands, hundreds of thousands. Yeah, yeah it was like right?
2: 370. 300, some, some,
1: yeah, it's crazy. Windows domain credentials, 372,000.
2: Yep. And so that's where it gets worse. So so not only one, oh, are they now much. getting all of these clients connecting to them? That gave them a target. All right? right. So they thought, how can we exploit that? And they said, well, all right, these clients are going to connect and they're going to try and do token-based authentication, which is pretty secure. Well, they sent back a message saying, no, we don't support tokens. We need you to do basic authentication over HTTP. And it was like, cool. And it was like, cool. So These that means systems, were
1: users submitting or putting in their passwords so or the, the, the system was doing it automatically?
2: The users would get a pop-up saying the certificate for this site isn't recognized. Type and in they would just click yes, because <laughs> yeah. that's what users do. Yeah. They would click OK, connect anyway. And then their username and their password were sent in plain text to yeah. the security company. Now, it was, well, a it was a company. base
0: 64 encoded, Don, oh, which is really, ooh, yeah. really difficult. That's
2: like the old ROT-13, yeah. right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> like arbitrarily easy to... Yeah.
2: To they called their attack the old switcheroo. Yeah, because they, they were able to switch you from using secure authentication to basic. Now, Microsoft has been in absolute scramble mode. Uh, they haven't really come out and said a lot about this, mm. but some interesting announcements have come out of Microsoft. So, first off, they've started buying up domains like crazy. <laughs> they're buying as many domains as they can well, like that could possibly the be. Yeah. That's one answer, I suppose. So, that's one thing they're doing. The second thing is they had announced that they were going to be ending support for basic authentication, but when the pandemic hit, they pushed it back into, I I think, 2023 or something, 2024, off in the future. Well, now they've come out just in this last week, and said, oh, uh, we're, we're moving that back up again. We're yeah. going to remove basic authentication support. Uh, and so they're doing all these actions which basically say, Microsoft really screwed the pooch on this one, and now they're, they're trying to, to no, fix it. Nothing like a good security issue. To a lot of fire up underneath somebody. Uh, <laughs> this one's embarrassing, Yeah, yeah it's really. Yeah. It's, well, it's
1: amazing it was this long before it was discovered.
2: If you think about it, this failure has yeah. been around for almost twenty years. Yeah, that's
0: crazy. Because yeah, it's a it's a pretty simple like just someone had to look, had to think, huh? And I, I, a lot of times that's what security um, yeah. disclosures end up being. is someone went, well, what are what is that doing? Yeah, that's weird. How right. can I use that? Yeah. Well, because kind. honestly, most people are just taking the service for granted. That I need to do X, Y, or Z. It does X, Y, or Z. Great. It does what I needed to do, and then they move on with their life. It takes someone to go, hmm, that says that's what that's doing. Let me look into that a little bit deeper. They start reading documentation. They go, what's this? What's this about HTTP authentication fallback? Doing this domain. Uh filter. Okay. That
2: seems like it'd be a problem. Let me check and say oh yep, that's a problem. Now I don't I don't have any insider connections on the Microsoft security team, but I can tell you one thing that I know they're doing, or they should be, or they shall be fired. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they need pants. They need to look, uh, especially for autodiscover.com, who owns it. Right. Right. Gardicore doesn't own it. It's not on their list. Right. Somebody owns autodiscover.com. They sure do. And not just who owns it today, but they need to look at the seventeen year history. Who has owned it in the right. past? Because right? if a
0: like a nation state owns this. Yeah, you've been getting ranked because Guardicore yep. is
1: going to put out the blog. Yeah. North Korea is not going to put out the blog. No, no. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, yeah, yeah. You put out and... a
2: blog about this, you'll never put another blog out again.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. and
2: <laughs> really any other thing. So the the thing here though is that technically, it's not really Microsoft's fault because it's not the Exchange server that causes the problem. Right. It's the clients that do this weird failback, right? So. We're going to see a lot of email clients get updates in the next week or so that are going to be fixing that to say like, hey, if we don't find it in the standard domain, we don't move outside of the mm-hmm. domain. If it's not under technado.com, then I give up. We don't go any farther. Right. Don't go to dot .com. That's right. stupid, right? But that's what they do And right then now. part
0: two to this mitigation would be to firewall rule the crap out of this thing, right?
2: You know, you could, but who
0: does that? Who who has outbound? Well, I mean, if you, know, well you do it all the time when it comes to malware, right? You say, we do not touch these domains because they are known bad. We sinkhole this S. Well, all
2: right, all right. So you could, I suppose, if, if you did outbound DNS right. filtering, yeah. then then you could. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, the, I, well, I mean, Gardcore
0: actually created a list of known, uh, what was it, the um, auto discover domains, and said just add This to your sinkhole list because there's yeah. no reason it should be going to this.
2: I would argue though that outside of schools, yeah, very few companies do outbound DNS filtering.
0: Really, I, I just don't, it's not that common. Like, they, we don't do it here in CISA Plus. They tell you that is a common that well, is what you do. Well, so that's so what you well. should be doing.
2: Now, now you and I work together in an insurance company we and, and we use WebSense there, we did um, for
0: content filtering
2: though, right? But that's yeah. how you would block a domain, yeah, you it know, is so. how you would block that domain.
0: Um, yeah, I, I would assume if it's not work related, it shouldn't be allowed. Yeah, We use, you know, use an allow list instead of a deny list, make it, make it a whole lot easier. Right, These well, are the allowed domains. We'll One dig minute. into this on
1: News <laughs> next week, guys. Cause.
0: It, hey, if you're out there listening and you, you do, if you do any kind of allowed deny when it yeah. comes to domains, let us know. Put it in the comments. I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, How do you yeah. guys work
1: on
2: this? Yeah. And make sure to click like or follow, subscribe. Yeah, do all that business. And if it pops Shh, up Hit the notification says,
1: bell. If it pops up and says <laughs> re-authenticate, just go ahead yeah. and yeah. hit Just yes your
2: way through that. Yeah, that's, that's fine. That's that's nothing, fine. no big deal. <laughs> or if you want us to test your servers, just send us your username and password. <laughs> and uh, It'll be <laughs> happy to pen test that <laughs> internally. Please,
1: please. All right, right, we've uh, speaking of security and uh, your, your network exploding, uh, we have a webinar coming up, Protecting Against Mobile Security Threats in a Bring Your Own Device Environment understanding the current model or mobile threat landscape, and that is with a friend of Technado, Victoria Mosby, uh, who is joining us for that one along with Mike Roderick, Thursday, October 7th, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Check it out at itpro.tv slash webinars, as well as all of the past webinars and uh, sign up there, and we'll we'll see you on October 7th right after Windows 11 comes out. Very exciting time. Uh, and we also want you to head over to technado.com or technado.do is apparently more secure uh, because it is not a top-level <laughs> domain so head over to technet.do you can uh, send us that listener mail uh, let us know what you want us to talk about and like uh, like puppets we will do it and uh, we'll send you a shirt for that and also uh, hit that big orange button in the corner that it says sponsored by it pro tv you can get 30 percent off the lifetime of your personal membership with coupon code from Technado and uh, get all that good learning uh, for cheaper and you can also uh, request a uh a demo for your team uh, and see all the cool features available for teams uh, like the pro portal available from it pro tv so check that out over at technado.com all right thanks guys good to have you back don uh you know no no knock on on wes ronnie uh chris our, our other uh, great villains but it is nice to have you back in the studio
2: yeah you know it's uh I, I i always try and be here for technado as much as i can uh just had a few things pop up that mm-hmm. Made uh, Likely story. What, they didn't <laughs> have the internet where you were? <laughs> well, you know, the hotel internet was absolutely terrible, uh, no. as it typically is. But... Especially through
1: that VPN you're using. Yeah. <laughs> we should <laughs> have just had you on Teams. Oh, Don said. Yeah. And we'll just read off here. I'm just TV
0: reading back. what Don's putting right now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you so much again to our guest, Richard Spires. I appreciate your insight there. And thank you all for watching. We'll see you next week right here on Technato with Don Pizzette.